Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. <sighs> we did it! I still can't believe we got this project done so fast and so well. When I'm in New York. I'm in Chicago. And I'm in L.A. But we're making it happen in Miro. Together. Our best work just happens faster on Miro's collaborative online whiteboard. No more scheduling meeting after meeting for work that could happen from anywhere. Whether it's getting design feedback here. Mapping timelines here or brainstorming next steps here. It all just happens on the Miro board. Exactly. And it's nice not having to wait an entire day to get sign-off from this guy. Hey! Well, it is true. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com. The first three boards are free forever. That's M-I-R-O.com. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Geek Buddies. <laughs> hey! 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 Oh, I like to add a little sauce there at the end. Yeah, you like to, you like to sprinkle a little <laughs> yeah. sauce up in that thing. I respect it. Yeah, thank you all so much for joining us again this week. You got so much to cover today. Uh, talking about the Zack Snyder interview, talking about Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes being the first Latino-led superhero film coming out of two of the uh, to coming out of Warner Brothers here for DC. We're going to jump into a review of Superman and Lois as well. And then our main topic, of course is going to be talking about that title reveal for Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man No Way Home, and what that could mean, and what's on that whiteboard. What's on that whiteboard, breaking it all down, uh, uh, designed by, or drawing by drawing, and uh, illusion by illusion. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Outlaw Nation. And to my right or left, depending on how you're looking at it, is... I am Michael Vogel, writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. 
And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Modern Family, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Silicon Valley. Boom. Uh, all right. Well, uh, for those of you who are new to the show, thank you very much for joining us either on YouTube or downloading us on the podcast feed. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, it's important that you download us and subscribe to us on the podcast feed as well. Get uh, some great numbers there. You guys have been so great over the last few weeks watching our WandaVision reviews, listening to them as well, and uh, listening and watching our main show. But our podcast feed, we'd like to get those numbers up too. So if you don't know that, just type in The Geek Buddies wherever you download podcasts. Go and subscribe. Listen to us there. Take us with you as you're going on through your day, working out, doing whatever you want to do. Uh, we will accompany you through your day. So there you go. Uh, and for those of you who are returning, thank you very much for staying a part of Geek Buddies universe as well. And the way this thing works is each one of chef's kiss. Each one of us, uh, each one of us brings up a geek news item. We talk about it amongst ourselves. Talk about, it, then take a little bit of a mini break and get into the main topic. Um, I think I will lead off uh, today. Uh, uh, starting starting with this blue beetle story. This is coming to us from Deadline. Deadline has confirmed that Puerto Rican filmmaker Angel Manuel Soto has been tapped to direct DC and Warner Brothers live adaptation of Blue Beetle, the first superhero film that will be led by a Latino character. This is awesome uh, news for me as a Latino, something that a lot of us in the in the sphere here who are Latino have been clamoring for and wanting to see, and finally it is happening. Of course, we've seen other Latino uh, actors play characters, certainly Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse, certainly uh, uh, Zoe Zaldana as, uh, as Gamora. We've seen other, the Michael Pena in Ant-Man, Certainly, we've seen this, but having one Latino-led superhero film, this this is a first. Uh, and it's shout out to DC, who also led the way with the first female-led superhero film mm-hmm. with Wonder Woman. So, whatever the issues are around DC, sometimes you got to give them credit for them breaking new ground, breaking barriers here. And I am a hundred percent happy about this. I'm a Blue Beetle fan from Ted Cord into the Jaime Reyes situation. But I know, Michael, you know much more about Jaime Reyes uh, than I do, still being an avid uh, reader of comic books. Uh, Talk to me about how exciting this is and how um, the story might possibly go here uh, with this, uh, with Jaime Reyes' Blue Beetle coming to a live action uh, uh, film. Yeah, I mean, look, I think kind of to the point of what you were saying, uh, we have seen uh, Latino actors and actresses play roles in comic book mm-hmm. movies, but I think what makes Jaime Reyes so great as a character and so exciting um, to bring to the big screen is he's not, this is not just an actor stepping into a role who happens to be Latino. This yeah. is a very Latino story. Like Jaime Reyes is a Latino character. He comes from a Latino family. Uh, and it's a really, really interesting, fun story. I know that uh, we have a lot of friends who... Uh, tend to be, as you said, more of a classic Blue Beetle fan. Yeah. Uh, they love the Ted Cord. Yeah. Uh, they love the Ted Cord Blue Be- uh, Booster Gold sort of, uh, you know, vibe yeah. uh, from back in the day. But really, in recent years, uh, both in comics and in the animation, like Jaime Reyes has really stepped up to become like a major character, and I think it's because uh, he's pretty unique in his superhero abilities. Uh, yeah. He gets a alien artifact sort of attached to his back that sort of uh, allows him to take on this Blue Beetle costume, this Blue Beetle uh, uh, identity. Mm-hmm. But the the artifact on his back uh, basically wants to kill everybody. And so there's a lot of really fun back and forth between him and this alien symbiote on his back. And uh, it's sort of like a lighter, more fun, uh, less dark and slimy Venom. 
Yeah. For maybe maybe for lack of a better word, a more a more a more a more tech forward kind of venom kind of vibe. But yeah. it's a lot of fun. Uh, I know Shannon has been watching a lot of the DC animated uh, oh, yeah. movies. Uh, he right. plays pretty prominently in the Teen Titans movies there. Uh, and I think it's just going to be really really neat. I worry a little bit about if this movie actually gets made. Yeah. Uh, you know, DC has a series of announcements that they've made throughout the years. Everything from we've got Steven Spielberg directing a movie, we've got Ava DuVernay oh, yeah. doing New Gods, we've got Joss Whedon know. doing Batgirl, which we all know how that went. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's like it's a super awesome announcement. I'm going to be really, really excited when this is real, when there is casting, when we know they've started shooting, when we get right. a trailer. Like with all of DC's news, there's always like a okay, yeah. I like this theoretically. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of history in the DC Comics here for Blue Beetle, Shannon. It's created by Charles Wojciechowski for Fox Comics back in 1939. That's when it then had a number of alter egos. In fact, in the lineage, Ted Cord is actually the second Blue Beetle in the history of the Blue Beetle situation, Jaime Reyes being the third. And Jaime Reyes was introduced in 2006, so a relatively new incarnation, kind of like Miles Morales being introduced, of course, yeah. him being half Latino as well. Uh, and the blue, he's a Mexican-American teen from El Paso, and he's known for his high-tech alien armor. And Gareth Dunnett Alcocer is going to be writing this one. He wrote the Miss Bala. Uh, he wrote Miss Bala, and then also the screenplay for the upcoming Scarface reboot. So, what's your reaction to this news, Shannon? What's your reaction to the history of Blue Beetle? As as Mike said, you've been watching these uh, DC animated films. How excited are you for this to translate now to a live action film? Will it work? I mean, Jaime Reyes is a character that that uh, really kind of upped the the visibility of Blue Beetle. Mm. Uh, I think you look at kids probably in, in the 2000s, and they probably weren't overly familiar with Ted Kord. Um, right. and, and, and having this, this new iteration, because th they did something so vastly different. I think Ted Kord had the scarab, or if that was retcon, like he had it, he never got it to work. And right. then Jaime Reyes gets a hold of it. Is that true, yeah. Mike? Well, I think it's sort of retcon to be that way, that Ted okay. Kord kind of had the scarab, and uh, that inspired all of his Blue Beetle paraphernalia, but he was right. more so like more so like a Tony Stark or a Bruce Wayne, yeah, sort of building yeah. his own thing. He, mm -hmm. he, he was an inventor, and, and and just the 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 Jaime Reyes character. I mean, he he was super popular, kind of coming out of the gate. Like yeah. they talked about doing, they had talked about doing a CW series with him, probably like ten years ago. And I, I think it, they went as far to do like some, some uh, visual effects, like some test footage that I think got leaked on the internet at one point. It might still be out there. But, okay. it, but it's one of those characters that um, from, an, from an effects point, uh, uh, point of view, it's, it's challenging. Like it, it, it would be challenging to do that on a, on a TV budget, especially in 2010. Yeah. You, you give him the feature film treatment now, you're going to be able to do some really, really cool things with this Scarab tech. It's interesting that Vogel said, you know, he's sort of a less slimy Venom. I got more of an Iron Man feel from him. Like, like he's an alien Iron Man because he's got the Scarab talking to him like Jarvis. Well, it is true. I think that, like, it's somewhere in the middle. It's actually a really good point in that what makes Jaime Reyes, like, a lot of times... We've got we've had a lot of superheroes in comic mm -hmm. books, uh, and a lot of times it's hard to kind of come up with that new ability or someone that feels like they're different. And yeah. I think you're right. Like Jaime Reyes, the fact that he has this scarab, this alien scarab on his back that is aggressive and doesn't always agree with him, kind of gives me the Venom vibes. But you're right in the actuality of what he does and what he's able to do. It is much more Iron Man tech forward. Mm. Um, the other part that's really interesting is uh, the alien race that the Scarab comes from, the Reach, 
is actually really interesting and cool. I mean, as far as like, you know, we talk a lot on our on our Marvel reviews about yeah. the Skrulls and the Kree and the Shi'ar and these alien races that have been around for a long time in comic books. The Reach were a relatively new thing, but like I know in Young Justice, they kind of became the big bads at one point. Like they're very, they're, it's an effective thing. So he's also a hero that as much as he's very much grounded in his life and his family in El Paso, Texas, yeah. uh, the movie can take on a very galactic feel, much like a Green Lantern or something like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Should go ahead, Chen. No, no, I was, I, I was, I was just going to echo, echo Mike's sentiments. I mean, mm. uh, the Reach were a huge part of Young Justice season two, and like the great thing in the DC in, in the DC animated films that I've been catching up on, and I'm not a huge Blue Beetle reader, so I don't know how comics accurate this is. Um, the Scarab has a particular issue with Jaime's family. Like it's like it want it's very aggressive to all humans, but it really has an issue with his family. So this is a guy in these films that is it has chosen to be separate. I mean, yes, he's going off and being a hero. He's working with the Teen Titans, but he also gets very um, apprehensive about meeting meeting with his family because yeah. he doesn't know what this thing on his back is going to do to them. Yeah, yeah. And isn't uh, wasn't Night Owl kind of. Uh... Uh, an homage to Blue Beetle in the Watchmen yeah. series, right? With everything, with the the look and the the I, whole thing, just kind of had that vibe. I believe what Alan Moore wanted to do, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but yep. uh, originally, what he wanted to do originally with Watchmen was he wanted to take those Carlton Comics or Charlton Comics characters yeah. that included Blue Beetle, that included the question, and I think it included mm. Captain Adam as well. That's what he wanted to use. And yeah. DC was like, ah, we actually might have plans for these characters. And that's why he ended up creating all of those original characters. Yeah. I, I yeah. might be wrong, but I think that's right. Well, and another step forward, and we'll see what happens. And Mike's, Mike makes an excellent point. I don't want to like go into this camp, but you can't deny that this camp is out there. Will it actually happen? You know, we, as Mike said, we've seen DC announce a bunch of stuff, and then it just kind of all falls by the wayside. So, but I hope because I mean, uh, Angel Manuel Soto, I think him signing on, you know, uh, off the success of Charm City Kings last year, like this is uh, this is positive momentum going forward. And I think it would be such a letdown if they don't uh, uh, push this through to fruition, especially on the heels of Wonder Girl being canceled over there on the CW. That was going to be a Latino led uh, uh, superhero uh, series as well. Of course, Brazilian, but still uh, Latin led in that way, it would have been nice to see that come forward, but it's not happening. So hopefully this comes to fruition. Like what were you yeah. going to say? No, yeah. just that I, I, I really do hope it does. I think it would be really good for DC. I think yeah. that, I think that he's, uh, he's a really relatable hero. And I think just given the team that they put together, he's also a hero that is very authentic. Like I said at the beginning, very mm -hmm. authentically Latino and that this yeah. story, as much as it can be about awesome powers and the reach and these aliens and all this fun stuff can also really be about real issues. I mean, Jaime's yeah. family is in El Paso, Texas, and they're yeah. a family of immigrants. So I think that, uh, I think that I, I hope that it does happen because I think this would be a very different uh, direction than what yeah. DC has been doing. And I think probably a really good direction for them. Yeah. And another, another part of this, too, is uh, it, this comes on the heels of Sasha Kaye being uh, uh, cast as the new Supergirl. Andy Muschietti, uh, you know, putting out a video uh, showing him re revealing her casting to her and recording her reaction really incredible video they talk in spanish if you haven't seen this video you need to watch this video she is now the new supergirl 
attached to the Flash movie. So the Flash movie is going to launch this Supergirl. Of course, they had initially said the Supergirl was going to be its own thing, and it was going to kind of uh, launch a new Superman off that Supergirl, her being older, apparently, and what they had originally constructed her to be than Kal-El, uh, being like his babysitter almost. So there was a lot that they were playing with there. Now they went a different direction here. Uh, and Sasha Kaya, a young Latina with Colombian uh, from Colombian uh, heritage, uh, she's born in this country, Boston, uh, and spent a couple of years in Colombia with her family and came back to America. But Andy Boucher, an Argentinian filmmaker. So these are positive steps forward here on the DC side of things, uh, telling a Latino base story i wonder how we're going what how sasha kaye is going to work is this going to even be remotely part of her story what's your uh what's your thoughts here uh mike uh i'm i'm really kind of curious i don't know mm. i mean uh the fact that she's being introduced in the flash movie correct mm -hmm. uh, i mean i think that really just does i mean kind of confirms that this flash movie is very going to be uh multiversal in its take which we kind of already yeah. know but i mean i think yeah. allowing to bring in I think as we've kind of discussed earlier, like that DC is, I think, wisely using their Flash movie and the sort of the trappings of the Flashpoint idea mm -hmm. to allow themselves to sort of reset. And if resetting that means recasting in some surprising ways, bringing in some characters in yeah. unexpected ways or uh, new unexpected takes, I think that could be really good. So I kind of feel like and hope that that's the direction that it's going. Yeah, Shannon, what do you expect from something like this in this combo? Because, uh, of course, she, she, you know, she's just because she's from Kryptonian. Krypton doesn't mean she can't be dark skinned. She can't be Latina looking. That doesn't mean, you know, it can go uh, many ways here. One, you know, 100 percent. I mean, I, I saw some saw some uh, some comments online mm. that they were saying that, you know, Supergirl, you know, that's not Supergirl. And it's just like, you know, Supergirl, Supergirl's Kryptonian, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's, this is not the first time that they've changed a, a character's hair color, essentially. I mean, yeah. uh, that video that Muschietti posted, mm. um, you know, as as one who has been on the receiving end of some good phone calls. Yeah. Um, nothing to the level of this, obviously. <laughs> watching, watching that reaction when she realizes she has the part, there, there's nothing like getting that phone call and yeah. just seeing the the genuine, just the heartfelt enthusiasm. Like she's so excited. It's it's it, that was just an awesome thing to see. I'm really glad they posted that. And and honestly, ba base it off the performance, man. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they people change. Michael Clark Duncan played Kingpin, and I thought he was great. Yeah. So you know. Ah. Yeah. And they went through 400 uh, people, like 400. He saw 400 people on four in four separate countries to find the the actress he wanted to have as Supergirl. The one who was going to knock it out of park, did chemistry tests with who, a person who is still cast as Flash, Ezra Miller. And you obviously can feel any way you'd like to feel about that situation. And we wonder if they'll ever address it. But she got the part. And that's what's important here. And look, I want to give a shout out. Look, yeah, I know I'm the old man in the room, whatever. But... I still respect – I love the fact that young people are opening the their minds and their perception of this all to accept these situations. Yes, there's some people crawling about on the internet, but I think that's getting – that voice is getting uh, – I think it's getting quieter and quieter. And I think studios are listening to that less and less and are progressing forward and doing what they want to do. And young fans are gravitating to a more cult multicultural approach to hero dumb and that for me as the old man in the room i'm loving it i think it's great because that's what should have been happening but so many people from my generation were so resistant to it 
didn't want to do it. And it took these movements and it took these actors and it took these filmmakers and creators to come forward together and push it. And the executives too saying, we need to make these changes. We need to do this moving forward. And I appreciate that when we get to our review next about Superman and Lois, I think there's also shades of that in how they're approaching that story that has been around for so long. So I love all that's happening. I don't know about you guys, but I, I think this is great, and it gives me so yeah. much more hope for what we've got coming down uh, over the next few decades uh, when we start telling these superhero stories, because it's not going anywhere, folks. That genre is not going anywhere. Um, all right, so, Michael, you got the next thing. Uh, what are we talking about? Well, as a lot of you guys know, we've been having a blast doing our Mandalorian reviews and our WandaVision reviews, uh, but we didn't want to just keep everything to Disney+, Plus, and we definitely want to review all the awesome superhero stuff that's out there. So mm -hmm. although this doesn't get its entirely own episode in the two-hour maximum deep dive the way that WandaVision does, we definitely yeah. wanted to talk about the CW's brand new Superman and Lois, which just premiered this week. Right. Um, you know, uh, it stars uh, Tyler Hecklin and Elizabeth. Elizabeth uh, Tulek as Clark Kent and Lois Lane reprising their roles that they played in the Arrowverse, in the Crisis series, but giving them a lot more to do and really focusing on Superman and Lois uh, moving to Smallville and raising their twin sons, uh, Jonathan and Jordan. Um, so uh, just diving right in as yep. a huge Superman fan, uh, I really was super pleasantly surprised. I wasn't quite sure what to expect from this. Uh, and uh, the opening of the of the series, uh, it was kind of a, a maxi special. It was over an hour long. And uh, it kind of opens up with a brief sort of let's give you the Cliff's Notes version of Superman and Lois. Mm. And I texted my friend and I was like, well, I feel like this is an episode of This Is Us because I'm already bawling. I love Superman. <laughs> and this, this hit me, this hit me right, right in the feels. Uh, so I was very pleasantly surprised. But, uh, but like, what did you guys think? We can get into the details in the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. But what were your guys' overalls impression of uh, Superman and Lois? Shannon? Um, overall, I thought it was really, really well done. Um, the, the showing a man of steel that has this humanity that is a family man, like something we haven't seen on screen really before him getting to be the dad of two mm. of two teenagers. Um, I, I thought it worked really well. And that opening sequence, I mean, I was I was right there with you. I certainly I certainly got that that lump in my throat a couple of times. It was just really well done. There are aspects to the show, which we'll talk about, that I'm not the biggest fan of, and I think that will affect whether or not I keep going with the series. But the writing, the everything, the writing was just great. I mean, the, the, the setup is fantastic. Yeah, I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. I, there is no one who was more skeptical than me going in to watch this. Because when Michael proposed, I was like, oh, all right, let me see, maybe. Uh, and I would read a bad review, not a bad review, but a middling review on The Hollywood Reporter. I think that's where I read it. And I was very skeptical, even more so. But then other people were, who I respect in the sphere that we're in chimed in on Twitter and were speaking about speaking glowingly about it. So that made me more excited to it and, and to watch it. And when I started watching it, I was immediately hooked. I loved the approach. This is a more realistic approach. Dare I say, a darker approach to Superman. Dare for those Snyder people out there, a darker approach, a more realistic, a more human approach. And look, I hated Superman Returns because Super Kid turned me the 
F off. That is one of the biggest reasons why I didn't like that movie. But it works here. The the world they've presented to you works so well. The relationship between him and Lois is so believable. The two kids, uh, the fact that you have one who's a you know a high school star and another kid who's got a, a social anxiety disorder, the way they tackled that and confronted that at times infuriated me, excited me. Uh, I liked it. And so it challenged me. And I love that. And the world they've built out of Smallville versus uh, versus Metropolis, this idea, you know, the throwing in some of the MAGA stuff, throwing in some of the different points of views politically of people, all of that I really enjoyed. And as I and as I just, as I just said, the fact that it challenged me made me excited to watch it. The direction, the cinematography, the writing, all of it just really worked. I found myself enjoying it greatly, Michael. Yeah, uh, well, uh, just keying off of what you said a little bit there at the beginning, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on on the darker front, I, I found myself really enjoying it because as someone who is not the biggest Zack Snyder fan, yes, uh, as as someone who as someone who doesn't love Man of Steel, I know you guys both uh, like it a lot more than I do. Oftentimes, you get accused of you just don't like a dark Superman. Uh, oh, well, you just you just want it to be the way it was. And I thought that what was great about Superman and Lois is, look, presenting a Superman who's married with two kids, like that's a very different Superman. Yeah. Uh, and presenting him in a situation where he's dealing with some loss, the way that he's dealing with, he's trying yeah. to be a father. Like, there's definitely like darker elements. This isn't just a happy-go-lucky Boy Scout who's saving the day. Like, he's dealing with very real things. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time. Uh, Tyler Hecklin's performance as both Superman and Clark Kent, I feel very much captures the spirit of who I like Superman being. You know, at the very mm. beginning when he saves that kid from the car and you get that awesome action uh, action comics shot, that homage, yeah, yeah. and he gives the kid his hat and he's like, hey, nice hat. And he's like, hey, nice costume. And he's like, thanks, my mom made it. And he flies off. It's like, yeah, that's... That's my guy. That's Superman. So uh, I, I really like that, uh, you know, this isn't just a retread of old yeah. Superman. This isn't just Christopher Reeves, uh, Richard Donner Superman redone. Like, this is a different Superman. And to your point, I thought that, you know, even though Smallville is this great small town to grow up in, they dealt with, to your point, uh, people with different political views. They dealt yep. with... Uh, farms farms foreclosing, people not being able to afford their lives, people not being able to afford their farms, meth labs, uh, clinical yeah. depression, as you said. Like, yeah. And what I think is great about that is because uh, they've created a show for Superman where we're still going to see Superman fly around and save the day and have freeze breath and heat vision and all the cool things that Superman has. But the problems that he's dealing with, particularly the problems as Clark Kent the dad, are things that you can't punch your way out of. Yeah. And I think that that's what's really, really great. Um, I also want to give Elizabeth Tullock credit because I was not the biggest fan of her when she showed up in the Arrowverse as Lois Lane. Granted, she wasn't given a ton to do, but I wasn't quite sure. And I really felt like she stepped it up in in this. Granted, she was given a lot more material. She's kind of carrying it as, as the mom. But I thought she did a really nice job as Lois. She definitely felt Lois Lane to me. Uh, Shannon? Well, the performances are really the thing that is going to hold me back. Um, Dylan Walsh, I thought, was great as General Lane. Like that, like that's a great that's a great supporting character that I that I would hope they would use more. Tyler Hecklin, when he wasn't like, and I wasn't a wasn't a huge Supergirl watcher, but I but I watched a lot of it. Um, He was a great supporting player in in a show about someone else. Um, doing his own show, I'm not quite sure yet. I feel like some of those more emotional moments, they felt a little fabricated, a little empty to me. And, but it's also the first, it's also the first episode. Elizabeth Tullock, I am not a fan of. 
Like I, I watched the first few seasons of Grimm, which I loved the concept of Grimm. I love some of the episodes, but again, I was just not a big fan of hers. And while I do think she did a very good job, um, it still is not to where I would want it to be to where I could enjoy the show without nitpicking it to death. I think I fall somewhere in the middle between you guys. I like their chemistry. I think if you're going to cast these two, these two's chemistry really works for this yeah. this version of Superman and Lois. Uh, I agree with you, Michael. He he has he's the big blue Boy Scout, and and the but I think Shannon, to your point, I think the reason they present all these multiple storylines and all these multiple characters is because they understand these two people just leading a show isn't necessarily going to sell it. You need to have other actors around to kind of create almost an ensemble show, even though it's called Superman and Lois. And the two kids, I thought, did a really good job yeah, I agree. As, as his sons. That I mean, I was looking for stereotypical stuff. And yes, there were a couple of things, like the kid listening to loud music, playing video games. Of course, it's fighting video games. But I, I, I understood they were doing for the broad brushstrokes, but the specificity of the interactions were really well done, I thought, between the kids and believable. And I don't have kids. It frustrated me, but it made me stop and go, yeah, you can say that because you're not a dad. You don't know what it would be like to have a kid who has social anxiety disorder who like says you're a bad dad or yells at you. You've got to power through that stuff. As you said, Mike, you can't punch your way through that stuff. You've got to actually figure that stuff out. This is your blood. You've got to figure it out. It's a challenge. Also, Emmanuel Riki being in there, I haven't always been the biggest fan of her, but this is a good role for her. Like When she finds a good role, Emmanuel can shine, and you can tell there's going to be more going on with Lana than just what Lana's presenting. She certainly wouldn't marry this dude unless she's got some points of views that mirror the guy that she's with, and how does that reflect, and what's going to happen if, if one of those kids if uh, gets involved with the daughter there, how, what's that going to lead to? The fact that she got caught on the Facebook group talking to Clark, the fact that she immediately brings up the, the this time that they all got together at a terrible con- – I can't remember the 90s band. They mentioned the concert they were at or 2000s band, whatever it is. Uh, it was, I, Sol- I, was it Soul Asylum? Yes, yeah, I guess it was. <laughs> but like the, that kind of stuff, you know, it added a uh, – it has a groundness to this that I was not expecting and uh, – but I will say this about Elizabeth Tullock. I, I wanted to see her do stuff, and it wasn't until the end of the show that she finally got to be Lois Lane. And so I'd like to see a little more more Lois Lane. Also, the fact that she didn't age for 15 to 17 years, I think, is a little bit. I'm like, come on, give me something. Maybe a gray streak. Maybe some more wrinkles. She looked the same when they met to when she had the kids. And I just want to see that. I know he can't age because he's Superman. But her a little bit. I want to see a little more age what? on her. But that's ladies. That's la- ladies can dye their hair. Don't. No, she's but got the wrinkles got to be there. She's, the got to be there. She's got some. She's got some creams. Kryptonian <laughs> <laughs> um, medicine. That's uh, yeah. Anyway, I do want to one. I don't, yeah. Go ahead. Man. I do want to add one 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 other big compliment, and then one sort of like caution. I guess like I yeah. do think one of the things that I really enjoyed, like this was not shot like the other CW shows. Yeah, man. Agreed. Uh, this definitely they definitely, and I think this is actually the good part about what's going on with streaming. Is obviously the shows that we get to see on streaming have like massive budgets and like look like movies. But what you're seeing now is because we have Mandalorians and WandaVisions and Falcons and Winter Soldiers coming along, that even on CW, like they have to up their game. And the difference between the way that your typical CW show, like what we are used to seeing as our superhero TV shows on network are shot, and the way that this was shot is like leaps and bounds different. The effects were better. 
the cinematography was better, just everything about it had this more movie-like feel, which I thought was really, really nice. Um, Now, that being said, I think one of the cautions is uh, this show could go one of two ways, and I could very easily see it. Uh, They clearly, like, they have a bigger arc of the season that they're planning out that involves Morgan Edge and this stranger who is revealed to be somebody interesting at the end of the episode. (laughs) But but, um, it could very much still fall into, like, you know episodic uh, show of the week, villain of the week. And, you know, I, I think that the the thing about a lot of the CW shows, to me, uh, who, who watched them for, like, religiously for a long time and then sort of fell off was they'll have, like, a really strong vision for the first season and then it kind of meanders and then it kind of gets over here. Like, like, I could just see this show sort of wandering off into a less, a more typical direction, and I hope it doesn't because everything about it right now feels so atypical. I think that's a great point you bring up, Michael, because you can't present these very charged relationships and then, like, forget them for a couple episodes or forget them for the – like, people have to negotiate these relationships on a daily basis in their lives. And, of course, he's going to be – is he going to stay in Smallville? Is he going to go to Metropolis? Like, What's, what's going to be the situation here? We're going to see that as it progresses – because certainly the surprise he gets in in this, the tragic surprise, and then the other surprise on top of it that I think might have a little bit of uh, shady stuff going on that is very relevant to people suffering through things like this nowadays, very topical in that way. If they let go of those relationships and go into that villain of the week stuff, you're going to really undercut what you so effectively presented in the pilot episode. And listen, not a lot of pilot episodes knock it out of the park they just get you a taste, and you're like, I want to see more. This one, I think, knocked it out of the park that I wa- that they hooked me, that I will now be playing yeah. this in my rotation, and I didn't expect to, to be honest with you. So I, I like that. Any any final words on it, Shannon? Anything to talk you back into maybe keeping going with this, or are you going to give it a, a few more episodes? Maybe? No, I would I would give it a few more episodes. Okay. It's not something I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the ripcord on right away because again, I, I thought what they got they got a whole lot right. Yes, um, they did. And you know the whole like basically what Vogel was saying about the non traditional CW vibe that it, that it mm. had that the fact that. They're it, they're leaning into more of a cinematic story. Um, there was there was just so much good from it, yeah. but there are you know performances is one of the things that that can take me out of a story. So um, it, it is a show that I will give a few more episodes of, and we'll we'll see what happens from there. I mean, yeah. And one last thing that that react that uh, interaction between uh, Morgan Edge's character and uh, Lois Lane, Elizabeth Tullock, there the back and forth. I think that's an essential part of this show. If they can present both sides in a way that's fair to both sides, but still calling out both sides, I want to see how they walk this path, you know, and and if they can do it effectively, uh, I wonder. Because once you present a character like that, you have a responsibility to that character. And if you go stereotypical, then you've really undercut the power that could be there with your show. Um, I don't know if you feel that way too, Michael, but that's, that's how I look at it. Uh, are you for your, you mean Lana's husband? Is that what yeah, you're talking Lana's about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I look, I, I thought it was interesting. I think that, I think that in the case of Lana's husband, I think he probably will end up not being a really great guy, mm. but I think that some of the concerns that he has and the things that he raises, I like the, like, I like seeing Lois and Clark coming into an area where particularly Lois. I think Lois Lane works really well where she thinks she knows everything yes. um, because that's who she is as a person. And I think uh, being challenged by her with, with different viewpoints is good. So I do hope they do that more with some of the other, to your point, mm. to some of the other characters in Smallville, since I have a feeling Lana's husband is going to go down a, uh, 
a, a, a more typical <laughs> a more typical bad guy road at some point Fi- the fact that he's a, the firefighter firefighterness aside he uh he doesn't strike me as a great guy <laughs> yeah well we'll see we'll see certainly uh for sure and shout out to everybody involved in this give it a real quick one uh lee tolan krieger james bamford and rachel talalale are directing the episodes here but it's also from greg berlanti katie aldrin and uh, Todd Helbing is involved in this as one of the developers of this series as well. Jay Jameson, Brent Fletcher, Joe Schuster, of course, and Nancy Sieg- Jerry Siegel, rather, are the creators, uh, Nadria Tucker and Andrew Wong. So those are the people involved so far in the episodes. Uh, and Mike, is this going to be, how many episodes is this going to be? Do you know? I think it's just a typical season order. So okay. 20 something episodes. I mean, I believe so. Wow. I might be wrong. I might be wrong about that. I could be wrong. Okay. I don't know. But, uh, All right. All right. but however uh, many it is, I will check it out at least for a season. Uh, on IMDb, it's got 15 episodes, so I, I think that would be great. 15 episodes of this series would be fantastic to sink our teeth into, and we shall see. All right. Well, uh, real quick, because we might clip this out, I'll just do this now. Let us know what you thought about the episode if you watched it in the comments section below. Like this video, uh, subscribe to the channel as well, uh, and all of that. So we're always open to your comments. We appreciate it. All right. Uh, what's our next thing, Shannon? Yeah, so it wouldn't be a Geek Buddies episode without ch- chatting about the Snyder Cuts. So just a couple of days ago, uh, Vanity Fair, uh, Anthony Bresnikan, who used to write for Entertainment Weekly, uh, wrote a great, great article, really in-depth article uh, about Zack Snyder and sort of the history of the Snyder Cut. He details basically what happens after Batman versus Superman came out and the whole... The, the whole ride that Zack Snyder and his wife, Deborah Snyder, ha- have been on up to up to the uh, release of the Snyder Cut on HBO Max. Really, really fascinating article. And, and one of the things that I that I loved and I'll hand this over to you guys in, in a moment. But one of the things that I loved is talking about that Zack Snyder just seems like a really good guy. <laughs> I mean, you can you can uh, you can debate the the quality of his work with certain films, but the the overriding theme seems to be like Zack Snyder is a really good guy. So, gentlemen, what did you think of this article and its contents? Mike? Uh, well, yeah, well, look, I mean, it's no secret that I'm probably not the biggest Zack Snyder fan as a filmmaker, <laughs> but I found but I found this uh, article to be, A, fascinating, and B, I think it really did underscore exactly what you said, which is despite, uh, despite our differences of opinion on, uh, I guess, the superhero genre in some ways, he sounds like he's a great guy. There's a reason yeah. that the cast uh, was really upset when he left, uh, and had the, and 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 I think that's one of many of the reasons that a lot of them had issues with Joss Whedon. But uh, I think that a lot of them liked Zack Snyder. Uh, they liked working with Zack Snyder. They liked what it is. But I th- I found it what I kind of found most fascinating about it was how real it was as far as revealing what Hollywood is really like. As far just insofar as it made no bones about the fact that when this all happened, uh, it, Zach Warner Brothers and everybody was saying, oh, Zack Snyder has handed the reins off to Joss Whedon. Mm. He, has, he has said that this is the guy to bring it home and whatever. And that was the story that was in the news. And now you have this article that comes out and says what we all kind of knew, which was, no, that's not how it happened. Right, right. <laughs> this is not how that went down. <laughs> uh, and really, it, it tells a, really, a real story that even leading up to the tragedy that made uh, Zack Snyder and his wife decide that, this, that it was time to pull out, that Warner Brothers was already kind of down their 
throats, that there was a lot of differences of opinion, that uh, given the performance of Batman versus Superman, that uh, there was already this sort of desire to sort of micromanage what Zack Snyder was doing on Justice League. And again, despite the fact that I don't like the direction that it was going post-Batman versus Superman, if you give a movie to somebody and then you don't let them do what they're going to do, that's never a recipe for something good to happen. So yeah. it's 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 interesting. Some of the tidbits about some of the things he wanted to do definitely gave me a little bit of the cringes, like the, the Bruce Wayne, <laughs> Lois Lane romance that, that got nixed. But I do think that, uh, I, and I will admit that reading the article made me even more curious to see what it is that he wants wanted to like like seeing this is going to be an interesting experience whether you love it or hate it like no matter how we end up feeling after the fact and we said this a few weeks ago um the experience of seeing him not only be able to recut his film but to reshoot things and like kind of do it in this huge format is going to be sort of unprecedented and amazing to experience regardless of the results wow literally little heater around the ice on your heart i respect it i like it uh, <laughs> uh i uh, i mean this made me uh fall even more in love with him as a person filmmaker aside like you said shannon you can have your feelings subjectively about his films whatever you want to feel and totally understand some of the criticisms that have been made about these movies but there are some that i thoroughly enjoy and they are some of my favorite films over the last 20 years but hearing but reading how he has dealt with the constant pressure the constant questioning that he had to deal with after the performance of Superman, knowing that Christopher Nolan and his wife like Todd got him to not watch Justice League because it might break his heart. Like they understood that this is actually a genuinely good person. Not one person had anything negative to say about their experience with him. When you compare that to Joss Whedon, it's like complete night and day. Uh, and you would argue that there could have been moments where he could have just you know gone off the handle and got into issues or got into issues rather with people, and he doesn't. When they put two people on the set to monitor him uh, constantly, that would drive someone crazy who's an artist. And he just rolled with it. And he said, you know, some of their suggestions were out of bounds and some of their suggestions were cool. I took what I wanted to take uh, and what I wanted to use in some of their humor. So I appreciated his approach to it. But what really struck me was how him and Deborah, his wife, spoke about um, his daughter, about the loss of their daughter, about the... Uh, and I didn't know that their daughter was adopted. I had no idea that their daughter was adopted and then go from from age one and what, what they experienced with her and then the tragic loss of her and how they're dedicating it to her. It doesn't feel like some people had painted it out to be like, oh, it's a little bit of excuse or pandering or whatever. No, this this very authentic and genuine love they had for their daughter, genuine loss uh, that they feel. And they've raised so much money for suicide prevention with their with that organization they've been involved in. And the fact that he's not taking any money yeah. for this movie, that was a shock and a half that he's not taking any money from this. He just wanted to get it done. And of course, uh, he's got the, the uh, was it Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead that's coming? That trailer I think is dropping tomorrow. So he's working on projects. He's getting money. It's not an issue. It's very clear that this was a passion project out of love for this movie that he wanted to make. And who knows? It could, who knows if that's, if the four hour movie is good or not. We'll find out really soon. But the fact that he is this kind of legacy 
as you read this article amongst the people he worked with, it speaks volumes. And it's why people want to work with him over and over and over again, uh, because he has this kind of reputation of being a good guy and a fair guy. Uh, yeah. And so that's the positive I take away from the article. Sorry, well, yeah, sorry. And I, it, well, and I was going to say also, like the fact that he he passed on his salary salary to mm -hmm. have more creative control yeah. because the first time it you know it didn't work out, and you know we we had talked about this before, but like I, despite my not really liking Batman versus Superman, I'm so curious to what his vision is going to look like yeah. versus the Franken movie that we ended up getting, <laughs> and and just the idea that they did send minders. Onto yeah. that, I, I, I think that like Jeff Johns was supposed to be one of them, I believe. And you know, we we saw this situation happen with Solo with Lord and Miller, and mm. rather than doing that, they were like, "That's not the way we work. We're yeah. going to step back." And the fact that he so wanted to keep doing this movie that he's like, "Sure, if you if you want to have someone kind of babysitting me, sure, let's yeah. let's do it." Like my, my main concern at the end is to be able to finish my movie. Right. Mike? I think, well, kind of to what you were saying, uh, and again, this is what I was really fascinated uh, with by the article is, you're right, when uh, when he did step away from Justice League and you found out uh, about his family and what had happened, mm. you know, some people were like, that's so tragic that, you know, that's why he left. And then other people were like, that's not why he left. Warner Brothers wasn't happy and this was an excuse and whatever. And I think what you see in reading the article is that, you know, not that it was an excuse, but like you see the truth of both sides. Mm -hmm. You see that Warner Brothers was worried and that there were huge concerns and yeah. that he was fighting this battle every day to make the movie he wanted to make. And again, not that that would be the movie for me, but I do think that once you bring a director on, you have to let them do their thing. Yeah. And so the fact that like then when, you know, it was like then then when any, everything that happened personally, it was too much. It was like, I don't want to fight this every, like I don't, I like no. I, I have to go focus here. And so I just think it's an interesting article because it was very true all around. Mm -hmm. Like it was, everything about the article was very honest with the concerns about Zack Snyder, yeah. but also how much people like Zack Snyder. And it was just a really, really interesting article because it, it had less spin than what I'm used to reading in an article, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, you know, and you know, if anyone could have legitimate reason to take WB to task or, or, or talk ill of them, certainly Zach could have, but he hasn't, not really. I mean, he's done his, you know, his social media stuff and he's put stuff out there and let other people go. And he was very clear, like the people who've been toxic in the fandom, he does not support that, does not support them threatening the lives of some of these people who've been against the Snyder Cut coming out. Like he was very clear about that in the article, but I also thought, I may, I may be way off base, but it also makes me think that now we may never see the, uh, the David Ayer Suicide Squad cut because he's been quite vocal at his displeasure of how he was treated by WB and all this situation. And maybe this is why Zach was invited back because Zach didn't do that. And so I, I just wonder if down the road that's going to affect whether we see uh, his cut of Suicide Squad or not because we are certainly getting the four-hour cut of the Zack Snyder film for Justice League uh, very soon. God bless. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things that really stuck out to me as well is like they had that one unnamed Warner Brothers exec who, mm. was, you know, speaking, you know, withheld his, withheld his, his identity. But he basically said, you know, we Come saw on, what I'm Joss did. <laughs> <laughs> we saw what Joss did and it was not good. It was a piece of yeah. crap. And like you you see this sort of infuriating lack of accountability yeah. from the executive side where it's just like you could have delayed this movie like you yep. didn't you didn't need to rush to hit this schedule. Like no. you had, there was time to do this right and you chose not to do it. Right, it right, right. Very frustrating.
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, take a quick break. We'll jump into And of course, Justin Lee coming out March 18th, right around the corner at HBO Max. So we're going to try, I'm going to try so hard to get us an early link so we can watch it and review it before it drops. And then we'll do a watch along maybe that Sunday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I'd love it is if you and I kind of like it, Shannon, and Michael actually loves it. That would be the greatest <laughs> the plot twist ever. <laughs> the greatest. It would be the greatest thing on time. If, if I was the one who was like, you know what, guys? Fucking brilliant. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. <laughs> Uh, what a twist! <laughs> Zack Snyder just needs longer run times. That's all. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with our main topic: talking Spider-Man: No Way Home. We'll be right back. That's good. I like that. Sorry, sorry. Where are we? Where are we? Oh, I always forget these. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, thank you, Shannon. That was very good. Spider-Man from the 60s. Um, all right. Well, let's get into uh, this drop this morning. So many people were speculating about the title of Spider-Man uh, 3. Uh, there were so many great jokes uh, that were thrown up. Boss, shout out to Boss Logic, who did a few of those that were hilarious, uh, and I loved it. Uh, but it was dropped this morning with a funny little video from on the Twitter account from the movie. You got Zendaya. I forget the actor who plays Ned uh, and uh, Tom Holland there. Tom comes out of a meeting with supposedly the uh, uh, MCU execs and uh, and uh, Disney execs and says, they won't tell me the title. And they said, well, you, you ruined the last title. So that's why. And as they walk by, we close up. We go to close up on this whiteboard there that said Spider-Man No Way Home. And that's officially the title of the film. We'll come back to this whiteboard for sure. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that's on here. But first, let's talk about our reaction. Uh, Vogel, I go to you first. What, what, did you like this title? And did you like the way it was presented? Well, yeah, first, backing up, I love okay. I love that Marvel just is cool, like just fucking with us for an entire 24 hours. <laughs> you had, that, that you had, you know, you had, uh, what was it? Spider-Man Homewrecker, Spider-Man oh, Phone Home, good. and Spider-Man Home Slice. And that each yeah. of them sort of had the titles come out, which I do think, as everybody says, kind of tips the hat to the fact that we are sort of stepping into this per- most likely multiversal movie. Yeah. But with everybody kind of wondering what it was going to be, the fact that like they're in on their own joke. You know, yeah. that we know that home is going to be in the title and they decided to have some fun with it. Uh, I, I texted somebody last night. I was like, you know what? Everyone else is like running to catch up. Meanwhile, Marvel has like one of the top 10 singles on iTunes right now with Agatha yeah. all along. Yeah. And they're fucking with us about the title of the next movie and everybody's eating it up. Like, yeah. you got you to gotta give them credit for that. Um, but then today, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home came out. And I think that's a really interesting title. Again, given everything that we know or think we know about the movie, uh, I think there's probably some good hints in there as far as what we might be seeing. So uh, I I thought it was a really good title. I'm super excited. I think that I, I know that we all enjoy Tom Holland and the Mm Spider-Man movies. I think I might be the one who likes Homecoming and Far From Home the most. I feel like that, like, well, I feel like, because I'm not, because I'm not, I used to love Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 mm. so much. And after going back and rewatching it, it's like, uh, like I really think that these Spider-Man movies to me are like complete home runs, both of them. And mm. so I think that this team, John Watts directing, like I think that, 
I'm super stoked about this. Uh, but like, this makes me a little bit even more excited. I'll tell we could talk about what we think it means in a minute. Yeah, but what did you guys think of the title? Yeah, what'd you think, Shannon? I mean, I thought the whole reveal was just awesome. I mean, the fact that they Marvel is just such sort of an institution for a lot of movie viewers uh, and and uh, uh, television consumers' uh, lives right now that they can that they can troll you know their fans for a day. And everyone knows what's going on, and everyone is loving it. Like it's mm. so much fun. It's it's they've we've established this just this shared vocabulary with the people making the things that we like, and you know they, it just allows them to have fun with these announcements. I mean, uh, you know, we talk about how some of Tom Holland's slip ups maybe they're manufactured, maybe they're not. Maybe. Uh, I mean, the one, maybe the, the one from Infinity War. That story, I'm like, I think that was one hundred percent. Maybe. I don't think you run into a front you run in front of a crowd thinking they've seen the movie yeah. and say I'm alive and not realizing that they haven't seen the movie. I don't think I don't think that's any sort any sort of mar- any sort of marketing ploy. I think I think that's right. it. I'll give you that. One. Did that. I'll give you that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in terms of the title, I mean like yeah, we knew home was probably going to be in the title and yeah. yeah, I I I agree like it's it it is setting up uh, potentially a couple of a couple of different meanings of what of what that title could mean because as we know at the end of Far From Home, which I think I was the one who liked Far From Home more than you guys. Like that was okay. that's by far my favorite outside of Spider Verse. Yeah. That's my favorite Spider Man. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think Homecoming is slightly better than Far From Home. But I think mm-hmm. yeah, we I remember we discussed that when we saw the movie that you were the one who was like, this is better. I'm I'm still homecoming the best, but Far From Home is a very, very close second. It's and the way that that movie ends, you know, the whole like you you can't go home again. Like his his life has been changed forever, potentially by what happens at the end of that movie. So yeah, I'm I'm super stoked. God, vaccine, get get across our country as quickly as you can, <laughs> so we can go back to the movie. Yeah, because this is coming out. The announcement is coming out this year in December. So it's not. It's mm-hmm. coming out 2021 in December. So it is right. Uh, you you think this is funny, but it's right around the corner. It's not that far away. It's within the calendar year. We're already about to enter into the third month of 2021, ladies and gentlemen. It's kind of mind blowing to think about. But yeah, I love the title. I think it's great. And like you, Michael, I think it. I think it alludes to multiple levels of meanings here. No way home. What does that mean? Does that mean like now he's grown up after these all these two experiences from these two movies? You know, he's embraced the Tony Stark role like he did in Far From Home. Uh, the Zendaya situation, how is that going to play itself out for him? What's the deal with Aunt May? You know, what's what's going to be far? But we remember, we have never seen the death of Uncle Ben, right? We didn't see any of that. So no way home. Could this possibly lead to... The death of Aunt May in that, okay, there's no, there's really no way home. And he's fully embracing becoming a superhero, going further out into the universe and less home and less of coming home. So I wonder how that far, how far out they're going to do with that. But also the destruction of his um, childish point of view of being a superhero, how much he enjoyed it, all of that. We saw him take steps through both of those movies, Mike and Shannon, where he embraces his maturity at critical moments. When Right at the end, when he turns down being an Avenger in the first movie, and in the second movie, when he figures out what Jake Gyllenhaal has done and how he's abused his trust uh, and how that, like, really, betrayal is a part of growing up, and betrayal matures you, man. It's, it's a sad truth of life, but it is a rite of passage. And his reaction to it, how strongly he reacted to it, almost to his death, to make it possible, what does that mean? So 
coming into this. I love the title, as I said, because it can lead to so many different things. What do you all think? Well, I think that's all true. And I think the titles do a good job of sort of being a little bit meta and talking about Mm. sort of thematically and emotionally what's going on. But also the thing about these titles is they've also been very specific. Like Spider-Man Homecoming, there's a homecoming dance. There's a homecoming dance. You're right. Spider-Man Far From Home, he goes to Europe. Yeah. So when you say No Way Home, I think that all the things that we're talking about are true, but I think probably also it's very specific. And what Mm. I mean by that is, look, to Shannon's point, we know how Spider-Man Far From Home ends. There's this big reveal. J. Jonah Jameson goes on screen and he tells everybody that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And now Mm. we know that Jamie Foxx is showing up as Electro. Alfred Molina is probably showing up as Doc Ock. There's been rumors about Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Uh, Tom Holland said that's not true. We all know that we don't really believe Tom Holland, so (laughs) maybe it'll go either way. But, like, that's – as we've talked about, like – and then we know Doctor Strange is involved. And so that's a lot. And we talked about, like, I completely trust them at this point. And so if they were going to pack everything into one movie, sure. But when you look at the photos that were released, uh, when Tom Holland, uh, Zendaya, and uh, Jacob Burton, who plays Ned, uh, were each released – they all basically released image stills of the same shot. It's all of them sort of in a dark building with like looking around for stuff. But it all of a sudden struck me that like, we keep thinking that the multiverse is coming to the MCU, Mm. but no one's told us that. And there's a chance that if Peter Parker is trying to figure out what to do about the fact that everyone knows he's Spider-Man and he goes to Dr. Strange or help or whatever, maybe the three of them get sent out into the multiverse and have no way home. Like maybe this isn't about Doc Ock and Electro and everybody showing up into the MCU. It's about Peter uh, and Ned and uh, MJ getting lost in the multiverse and not having a way to get back. Or or would it be Peter lost in the Sony-verse of Spider-Man, and that's how they kind of launch him back out into Sony because they haven't signed new contracts yet for him to extend past that third film. So will this be their way of shutting the MCU so he can't go back home to that so he's in this whole new reality, right? Well, I think that would be a very sad ending for the movie, so I hope he gets back. But uh, (laughs) I don't don't think think that this is a way... I don't think that this is a way to be like, we're taking Tom Holland back and you can't have him again. Um, I, I do think I do think the movie will probably resolve itself in some way, shape or form. But uh, I do think that the fact uh, the fact that and look, it could just as easily apply to some of these characters coming into our world and not having a way to get home as well. But gotcha. I, it all it, it all of a sudden struck me that and maybe this was just me. I had just been making this automatic assumption that you were going to have sony marvel sony villains kind of in the marvel universe and peter parker was dealing with all this while the world thought that he knew that he was spider-man what does the mysterio stuff mean and so it all of a sudden uh occurred to me that that might not be the direction so i think it'll be interesting to see i cannot wait to see the first trailer for this thing well should we look at the board and make some look at the board let's look at the board board. let's make some uh things here First of um, all, this board, yeah, this board is fucking hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> That's what struck out to me. Uh, yeah, we've got Home Alone scratched out. Welcome Home scratched out. Copyright issues underneath that. Uh, the old school eyes of Spider-Man. Far from home. We did this already. Uh, webcamming. Homesick. Ugh. Uh, homemade. <laughs> home run. Which I thought was funny. Want to go home. No place like home. Uh, please no Please no home or something like that. Work from home. More worlds. Home sweet home. Close to home. 
uh, stay at home, uh, homeschooled. Aunt May says no. Uh, but then we see these <laughs> other images, Mike and Shannon. We have the Iron Man uh, heart logo way at the top. We have this box that's uh, going on. We got these like chemical stuff uh, images there as well. And uh, uh, there's a hexa there's hexagonal stuff, which could be WandaVision references. What stands out for you as you look at this board? Uh, either one of you, what do you, who wants to go first? Well, I mean, the first thing that you see, just because it's right above the title, is that that image of the cube, which, you know, in terms mm, of cube, right. when we used to think of the MCU, we think the Tesseract. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. to the, and then we've got the, the hexagonal shape that's just to the right followed by yeah. what I assumed was the uh, inverted triangle, but then you see you actually have from, from uh, Tony's arc reactor from Iron oh, Man yeah. 2, but yeah. then you actually see a much better drawing of it yeah. further towards um, the right side of the board, so the left side of the screen. And also with the hexagonal shape, we, we see a couple of these sort of, you know, hexagon fields, which is also when, uh, like, Guardians 2, when they make basically oh, like the yeah. jump to hyperspace, that's sort of the, the field that it looks like. Yeah. Okay, Mike, what stands out for you? You should look at the board. So overall, and I was, I, as I was saying, the thing that stands the most out to this board to me is how much fun Marvel has with us. Like, I think this is great. <laughs> like, I do think that, you know, like, I think that 98% of this board is just stupid jokes and funny comments, and it's kind of just adorably fun. You can tell they don't take themselves super seriously, and I think that's what makes the tone of these movies so great. Uh, and I think yeah. kind of makes the tone of the MCU as a whole great. I do think, you know, the hexagonal thing, I think because of WandaVision, we're so trained to just spot hexagons everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we still don't fully know what, you know, a lot of people think with, that the hex, is, you know, it's the, it's the hexagon because it's the hex powers and we know that she has that. But, like, the hexagon is showing up a lot. And we know, as because we talk about this incessantly on our WandaVision reviews, yeah. uh, six sides to a hexagon, six infinity stones, uh, you know, all the different pieces that we talk about here. To Shannon's point, it's the way that, uh, it's the way that the, when you travel through space and you kind of like go from one area to another in Guardians, it's a hexagon. So mm -hmm. I do think that as we talk about, uh, as we do in WandaVision, uh, nexus beings and the nexus mm. of the multiverse and all of these realities coming together and traveling through space. And I think that when we get to the Loki series where he does have the Tesseract and we know that the Time Variance Authority is coming in, we're going to get into all that, that I think that you're kind of looking at this, the, the, the direction that Marvel is going for what's coming next uh, and, and remember, like at the end of Spider-Man, uh, at the end of Spider-Man: Far From Home, when he like swings past that four, and it's like one, two, three, four. Yeah. We can't wait to we can't wait to sh for you to see what's coming next. I think this is kind of where we're at. Like, I think Wandavision has teed us up with a bunch of stuff, and I think in the next few weeks, uh, if you tune into our reviews, you'll see what we <laughs> think about it. Uh, but I think that you know, in the next few weeks with Wandavision, we're going to see how that wraps up, and I think that's probably going to give us some big clues as well. Uh, to what's going to happen. Because remember, um, what's happening in WandaVision right now takes place three weeks after Endgame. Yeah. And Spider-Man Far From Home takes place eight months after Endgame. So oh, presumably, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home is going to take place pretty much right after that. Like, I don't think you can have a big gap of time where the entire city or world knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and not address it. So we're probably going to be pretty much eight months after Endgame. Um, and, you know, seven months and a week after WandaVision. And so whatever's going on with Doctor Strange, who we know is in the movie and is kind of stepping in to be that mentor character to Peter Parker, yeah. um, he's going to be in the, in, in the midst of dealing with what's going on with Wanda now that she's leveled up or 
uh, hunting down Wanda if she's a villain or training Wanda if she, you know, needs training. But like that all is going to be wrapped up in this. So I think it's really fun to see that before we're even getting uh, hints through Black Widow and Eternals and all these other things, like we're really seeing a really cool direction and that Spider-Man is kind of central to all of it. Yeah. What do you think, Chef? Yeah, I mean, uh, the in terms of the no way home, like the first thing that I thought of uh, was, is there a chance that whatever is going to happen in this movie isn't just going to change Peter's world forever? Mm. Is it going to change the MCU forever? Right. Is is home him could be him, Earth? Home could be Earth. Right. It, yeah, well, okay. is him getting lost in the multiverse? Mm. Like, is 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 where he calls home? Is that going to be in his rearview mirror? whenever this adventure plays out in the third movie. I have no idea. I mean, but just the fact that we're also curious how they are going to integrate Jamie Foxx and Alfred Molina into this. Um, you know, Jamie Foxx's turn as Electro, maybe not the coolest, not entirely his fault. Jamie Foxx is an Academy Award winning actor. Um, but no one would argue that Alfred Molina is probably the best villain from the Sam Raimi trilogy. So the fact that we're going to get to see, I don't know, it doesn't seem like they're going to be the exact characters, but we're going to get versions of those characters. And you add in Doctor Strange. Uh, come on, this is yeah. this is going to be a huge movie. Yeah, I mean, home could be taken in the more figurative sense in terms of like, like I said earlier, like the world he knew is yeah. now so much. It's not it's not home anymore. Uh, what he thought was home, you know, it could be, it's completely different now, more expanded, just like when we all grow up, you know, we go to college, all of a sudden our world and our home looks so different. The farther you get away from it, the, 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 the more it changes in your mind, how you perceive it, how you see it. And then of course, some people, as they get older, find their way back home. So it's very interesting how the cycle of life goes or circle of life rather goes. And so this could be the next step for uh, uh, Spider-Man. And it makes sense. Peter has to grow up. Peter, as as he assumes more responsibility, logically, he's going to have to have a more expansive worldview and understand. I mean, he got taken into another planet, for God's sakes, to fight some Titan. Uh, so you know, that naturally will change you. All those experiences change you. So you wonder uh, how he sees and what's, what's Ned's role going to be uh, in this situation now um, and Zendaya. Like, what are we going to get as we go forward with these characters it's exciting. Uh, and you're right, Mike. They love fucking with us. So it's great to like, you could sit here like uh, Charlie Day and stuff. Ah! You know, you could sit there and break that whole board down. But yeah. And, Shan and Shannon normally does. Yeah, Shannon normally does. You're right. You're right. And I'm sure he'll have some updates as we go along. You've, you've never seen the other side of my computer, this wall here, for a reason. <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, uh, all right, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. What do you all think? Uh, let us know in the comment section as well. But uh, I think uh, anything more to say, or shall we? Shall we uh, wrap this up? Let's wrap it up. All right, let's, let's wrap it up. It. Thank you all so much for watching this episode of the Geek Buddies. We always appreciate you all downloading it, uh, either on the podcast feed or watching us here on the Outlaw Nation channel. It means so much. And thank you for all the comments you leave us and the likes. And don't forget, we got those WandaVision reviews too. Uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at Geek underscore Buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore Geek underscore Buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at The Roca Says. Mike? Uh, well, we really appreciate you watching from home. And we like that <laughs> you've made Geek Buddies your home. And uh, we think that you should spend more time here at the outlaw's home. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, and so well here's done. what you can do. Well thank done. you, thank you. Here's what you can do. Uh, definitely, like Johnny said, leave some comments below. We really love to hear what you guys think. Uh, we love to engage with you guys, hear your theories, go back and forth on it. So definitely hit us up below. Let us know your thoughts. Definitely hit the like button. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw page. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast on Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us some stars. Leave us some comments. It helps us go up in the rankings. And the best thing you guys can do, which you guys are so good at, uh, is retweet this video, uh, send it to your friends. We love hearing that uh, my buddy wasn't really into geeky stuff. I sent them the Geek Buddies. My friend had questions about this. Uh, she got super into this. So definitely keep doing that. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, be as funny and clever as you want with those retweets because we see them all. And uh, yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep. I can't, I can't say anything better than what these two just uh, gentlemen just said. So do all of those things uh, for sure. And then uh, uh, make sure you come back and see us on Friday or Saturday for our WandaVision reviews for episode eight. It's going to be something, that's for sure. Uh, and then come back again and join us for our uh, episode of the Geek Buddies next uh, week here on the Outlaw Nation channel and wherever you download podcasts. All right, that's it from us. Thank you all so much. We'll see you next time on the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.